Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Always stay ready. Always stay ready. Because you never know when your opportunity is going to come. And you may not get but one shot. And if you miss it, that could be it. So just stay ready. That's my advice. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I want to talk about a few things in this cold open, but before I do, I just want to thank all of you for all of your support. You guys have been unbelievable. I am so excited to be here today because I get to sit across from a guy who is one of the funniest actors and I'm talking about Tony Cox. And the first thing I want to tell you is this. I was at a shoot today. I was out of the office. And I am rushing back here because I want to be on time for this because I have so much respect for Tony. And as I always say, that line that Vince Lombardi said, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't bother showing up. And so I get here 15 minutes before the time we're supposed to be here. And I'm thinking, God, I feel really good. And as I'm pulling into the spot in the garage, my phone dings and it's a text from one of my producers. And it says, Barry, where are you? Tony Cox has been in the lobby for 30 minutes. Thinking to myself, God damn it. This guy shows up over a half hour early for the gig and puts me to shame. And even though we started this podcast three minutes early, I feel as I'm sitting next to this guy, I'm late. And you want to know what else I feel when I sit next to Tony Cox? I feel like I'm a bad person. I'll tell you why. If you've ever been around Tony Cox, and I was fortunate to represent Tony Cox for probably over five years, This is a man that is the nicest guy you will ever meet in your life. Everyone he meets, he treats like they're the president of the United States. I've seen him on sets where he treats the craft service person who's serving the trail mix 
the same way he treats the studio president of a feature film. For a guy who I know who's probably done close to a hundred movies, and a guy who every time that he has the opportunity to go on frame in a film, he creates what I like to call holy shit moments. And if I could actually use one of my own sayings and make a joke that's been done since vaudeville, if I could look up holy shit moments in the dictionary, it would have a picture of Tony Cox right there. Every single thing he's ever done, you can always say that. Me, myself, and Irene, where he's getting into a numchuck fight with Jim Carrey. Or a bad Santa when he's in the ring with Billy Bob Thornton. It never ends. And so if I could tell you anything that could help you in your personal or professional life, it's very simple. When I look at Tony Cox, I think of nice guy, treat people right, be kind, be generous, be wonderful to everybody, show up early all the time, and in Anything you do, create holy shit moments, and I can guarantee you, you'll have a chance to have the kind of career that Tony Cox has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Tell me a director you worked with that really changed your perspective on the craft of acting. There were two. Francis Ford Coppola and Terry Zagoff, the guy that um, did uh, Bad Santa. He really changed my life of what he did. Because Terry Zygob was willing to lose his job for me. Um, and Tell our audience the whole story. I just want to set this up for our audience. Being a little person in Hollywood is the antithesis of what we've heard all through our lives in economics classes and college, the law of supply and demand. Ordinarily, the law of supply and demand, the littlest amount of something is the highest value. But for little people, it's the opposite. Every time they're offered a job, Hollywood tries to give them scale or the minimum wage. It doesn't matter if it's the biggest movie in the world or a low-budget film. They're constantly fucking with little people. They are in the lowest paid, and I think Tony has changed that a lot because the last deal that I remember making with you with Mark was a hugely substantial deal for a movie that you did overseas. Warrior's Way. I was mad because they kept on not 
talking about who they were getting to be in the movie, and they never were saying anything about my contract, and I got mad to I didn't want to do it, but you were adamant, and you said, no, you got to do this, and you wanted me to do it because of this actor that I was going to work with, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush, that's yeah, right. And it was one of the best times that I had, and I could see, like, Jeffrey Rush, this man would be talking to himself, be doing his scenes, and I'm looking at him, and he was so good. He played one of the best drunks in the movie I've ever seen, you know, and I was like, wow, and I learned from him. I remember now the situation. My feeling was always that you were a guy who had the greatest scenes with some of the greatest actors and funny people of my generation and I didn't want you to do a movie where you were going to be away from your family for a long time unless you were working with a guy who was an acting savant mm. and I thought that one of the things that was missing in your career at the time you'd worked with amazing people but you'd worked with amazing people a lot of them that had a natural ability mm. like you that weren't these really trained thespians. Right, right. And Jeffrey Rush, he was like a Daniel Day-Lewis oh, type. This guy was good. I'm glad you decided to do it. I'm glad I did, too, because... And they explained to me why it took so long. They told me they ran out of money. The people that are putting in money, they ran out of money. But they said, we couldn't let your managers know. Because if, if we had told them, they never would have wanted you to come down here and be in the movie. And they said we had to get backing again, and they got it, and that was when they made the deal. Going back to Bad Santa, tell our audience the story. Well, first of all, I remember sitting at home. I was laying on the couch, and I get this phone call because I, I decided to have the calls to come to my house and not go to my agent because she represented other little people. And I just decided I wanted to hear what was coming my way. And I, I get the phone call, I'm on, lying on the couch, and all I can remember is like they said, it's a job uh, with Billy Bob Thornton starring in it, and there's a co-starring role uh, for a little person, uh, for Tony, you know. Um, and we would like to see him, and if you know who represent him, give us a call. I was I got up off the couch so fast you would have thought I was Fred Flintstone yabba dabba do, you know how he'd be in the car with his feet, and I ran to the phone. So you were taking calls in your house. Hi, yeah, I represent Tony Cox. What do you got? Yo, you got a movie with Billy Bob Thornton? Yep, uh, I'll get in touch with him and I'll get him right down there. So you were pretending you were somebody else. No, I I just wanted to know what was coming my way, and after I would talk to him, then I would let it go to my agent. But I would just, I wanted to know what was coming my way. And so, um, you know, I, I told them, you know, who to call and, and they called. But I remember I was just so happy because um, I had been in acting for 23 years at that particular time and had never seen a role like that in my life. And no other little person had ever seen a role like that in their life, you know. And I'm sure that every little person knew that if they got this role, it could change their life, you know, in this business. And I, I went in to read, and um, I, I, at first I asked the director, I said, uh, I, it's something I'd like to try. And I said, I know people have been coming in here and probably reading it a certain way, 
but I would like to try something different. And if you would allow me, you know, I would love to do it. And if not, if it's not the way you want it, then I'll read it maybe the way everybody else been reading it. And he said, oh, I'm willing to try anything at this point. And then I knew they hadn't found anybody they wanted. And I started the reading it. And I had put some ad libs in and improv- improvised some things. And and the director started to laughing so hard tears was coming down his eyes and he stopped me in the middle of the reading and he asked did they have Kleenex and nobody had Kleenex and he said I'll just use my sleeve and so he said continue and I kept reading and he just laughed and when it was over with he said whoa he said that was good he said but I have some good news and bad news and I'm thinking what do you mean bad news? I'm thinking to myself, you just laughed until you cried. What do you mean bad news? You know, and I'm thinking, did I do it so wrong until it was funny? You know, and then he said, well, I tell you, the good news is that nobody have ever, nobody's come in here so far and read it like that. He said, that was really, really good. The bad news is that this role was not written for African-American. It was written for a Caucasian. And I remember my heart just sank. And I'm thinking, 33 years, 23 years I've waited. And here, you know, you're going to come up with something like that. Color. You know, and uh, I, I was just hurt. And then he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to have to rethink this. I'm really going to have to rethink. And all I could go on was... Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, Instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. You know, believe in what he said. But I was just hurt. Like, why after all these years? And I just prayed. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. And he kept bringing me back. I read about nine times. And I remember I read all the way from, like, April to, like, June. Now, each time he's bringing you back, is he bringing other people in the room? Are you reading for Billy Bob? What is he asking you to do each time? Uh, It's just reading different scenes. He'd bring me back. I'll read scenes. Only one time he had this guy in, in the room, and he was a producer. He was very intimidating. And he had said to the director, Terry Zygoff, that that guy would not get the role, talking about me. He said, if that's who you want, he would not get the role. The time when I went in to read for that particular time, they had told, my agent had told me, they don't want you to read. 
And I said, you should. She said, no, they don't want you to read. And she said, sometime the director just want to see you to make sure that you can get along with the cast. You know, and I said, well, okay. I had done a job in New York City. Actually, I had done two jobs before that, one in New York City. And I just was doing one with Rodney Dangerfield. It was his last movie. Um, And so I went in, and as I pulled in the driveway, I could see this other little person who I felt like would be my competition. And he's just going over the script like crazy. And I, I got on the phone and I asked my agent, I said, wait a minute, are you sure I don't have to read? But this role, she said, they told me that you don't have to read. And so I get inside and he's inside and he's just studying. And so, and I'm thinking, maybe I should pick this script up and start looking at it. Was this a guy who you lost roles to before? Did you recognize him? Oh, yeah, he, he's known, you know, but I get more roles than he does, but he's real known. He gets his parts of roles, but I don't usually compete against him. You know, every now and then, him and I compete against each other. Do you remember his name? Danny Woodburn. He's a really good actor, you know. But where I got everybody is that besides being doing drama, I also good with, with uh, comedy. And so you're in the waiting room, and you say to yourself, when this guy's looking over the script furiously, you're thinking to yourself, maybe just as a backup, I should look at the script. Right. But I wasn't prepared. And so they called me back in the room, and I go back, and we talk for a minute, and he said, are you ready to read? And I said, read. And then he said, yeah. And I said, my agent told me I didn't have to read. She said, who told her that? And I'm like, I don't believe this. I really think it was set up. She knew that she wouldn't have done that. Somebody had set it up because they wanted this guy in so bad that I believe they pulled that. So the guy that didn't want you set you up to fail. Yeah, I I just think it was every nobody wanted me except the director and Billy Bob. Who goes into the room first? He he goes in first. Now are you listening through the walls? How's he doing? No, I don't want to hear Danny. I really never wanted to hear anybody except that one guy that time. But I don't, I don't like to hear anybody. I don't want that in my head. But I was just, I wasn't prepared. So you had to do a cold read. So he walks out. You walk in. Who's in the room? Um, two ladies who were producers, the director. But this time it's this guy that's very intimidating. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and you can tell he doesn't like me. I, I mean, I could tell, I could see it on his face. And myself and the director, we became friends I mean, to go ahead of it, he had told me that this guy said, if that's who you want, he's not going to get it, you know. But anyway, he kept bringing me back. I didn't do well on that reading because I wasn't prepared. I knew I, I couldn't get it out of my head because in my head, I'm thinking, if I just got to meet with the director, everybody likes me. I mean, I don't have a problem with anybody. I'm sure I'm going to get it. You go from that thinking you got it in your mind, you know, it's just this little thing that you have to go through to now you got to read for it. You don't have it. And I could not pull myself together. I just couldn't. And I went in and I didn't do well. And I explained it to him and he said, it's okay. And, but he kept bringing me back. And the last time that I read, I had to read with this was, they were about to make the, the choice to who they wanted. And I read with Bernie Mac on a Wednesday and I read with 
uh, Billy Bob Thornton on a Friday. Well, Bernie Mac and I, we always click anyway. You know, we just had that thing. Uh, then I read with Billy, and I had prayed so hard that the Lord just, you know, let me have it. You know that I would I would just do a great job, and I went in. I remember Billy walking in, and we started to read. And I remember when I started to read, we read that first scene. I just felt like, and this is true, I felt like God was in that room, sitting at that desk, just looking. And I remember after as we read the first scene, the director it just clicked. The director said, "Do you guys would you like to try it again, or what you want to do?" I remember Billy Bob raising his head up real slow. He said, there's nothing else you can do with that scene. And I was like, yes, because it was one of the best readings I had ever given in my life. And um, we did about four other scenes, and then they were going to make their choice that Monday or Tuesday. Um, But I remember the director, he told me, he said, look, he said, I talked to my wife the other night, and I told her that if I can't have you, as my guy in this role, he said, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to do the movie. And he said, she got mad. He said, she was pissed at me. And he said, I don't blame her because this is more money than I ever made in my life. A minimum amount of money for a director directing a studio picture like this would probably be $250,000. Could have been much more. Yeah. Because he was also, you know, producing it, too. I think he was one of the producers on it. Which probably would double his money. Yeah. And so he said, if I can't have you, I'm not doing it. And she didn't like it, you know. But he said, you know, he said, you make this movie fun, you know. And when it came time to when they were going to make their decision, they said it in front of Billy Bob. This guy that said, there's no way I was going to get it. And everybody was against me, um except that director, and then when he said it in front of Billy Bob, the director told me later that before he could stand up and talk in my behalf and say, if I can't have Tony, I'm not doing it, he said, Billy Bob stood up. And he said, I didn't know how Billy felt about you. I really didn't know. And he said, Billy stood up and said, what do you mean you're not going with Tony? He said, Tony is the best guy for this role, the best actor. And he said, the guy turned colors when he heard Billy said that because he was so sure that Billy would go along with him for the other guy. And just recently, with Bad Santa 2, listening to Billy talk about it, he brought up some things which I didn't know. He said that what he liked about me, that I could find that comedy. And he said, Tony got in director even told me, he said, Billy came to me and told me, that you're the better actor by far. And she said, Billy sat me down and explained to me why you were the better actor, you know. And he said, you know, Billy was just great. Those two people, that's the reason. And the man the man upstairs made it all happen because I always say God put people there for you. For me, he put the director there, and when they were about to go over his head before they heard his answer, Billy stepped in. And they were not looking for Billy to say that. And they had to let it go after that. But what I did know, they also was looking to fire me my first day of work. They had everything. They were looking to fire me. 
And they had this other guy waiting in the wings. He told me later. He said they had me waiting, but then he called their bluff and said, it's either going to be me or Tony. And they had to make the decision at that time. Even my driver knew that I was going to be fired that day. You know, he said, because he knew that producer. And he said, I remember when I picked you up, I'm saying, this kid has no idea what he's about to go through. And he said, I remember coming up on the set and watching you. And he said, man, you were flawless. You ever see that producer again at the premiere or after the movie became such a big hit? And did that producer ever come up to you and say, Tony, I was wrong? No. It was a couple of producers. The one that I said was intimidating, he called me from Texas. And it was all my answering service. He said, Tony, he said, you were great. Thanks for doing the movie. He said, you were sensational. He said, all these write-ups that's in the paper about you. And he said, man, you deserve it. He said, we're in Texas right now. I'm producing another movie. But if it's anything you need, anything you want, just let me know. And I said, wow, how money changed people. (laughs) All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name of somebody. You can tell me what you think about them. You can tell me a sentence, a paragraph. You can tell me a story. You can tell me one word. Whatever comes to mind. Michael Jackson. Uh, One of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Rumor has it that he was supposed to teach you how to moonwalk. Yes. Yes, he was. And people won't believe this. He gave me his phone number, and I lost it. I lost Michael Jackson. But when I tell people that, they go, you did what? I lost it. He was about to go on tour, and he said, when I come back, give me a call, and I'll show you how to do the moonwalk. Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, man. Rodney was just the best. You know, Rodney said, when I saw you against Jim Carrey and I saw you in that movie, he said, I didn't need you to read. I told him I want you. I want you and I want you in that movie. Anybody can stand up to Jim Carrey? Hey, they good. Tell our audience what he said to you when he first met you on the set. (laughs) Oh, he walked in. He said, all right, damn it. He said, you damn scene still. Don't you steal no fucking scene from me. (laughs) Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint Eastwood, what I remember about him is that when he shoot it, that's it. You know, one or two takes, it's over. He's going to the next scene. Bernie Mac. (laughs) One of the greatest comedians of our times. There would never, ever be another Bernie Mac. James Franco. James Franco is one of the smartest guys around. That guy on every break is just like he was reading something, reading a book. He's really, really a nice guy. I really like James. George Lucas. George Lucas is a very, very quiet guy. But he's, he sees everything. He sees it all. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. When I met Tim Burton, he was real young. And when I did Beetlejuice, I remember telling Tim that he's going to be big after that movie. And he became big. And I beat him in basketball. All of them playing horse. (laughs) Richard Pryor. Oh, man. Richard was nothing what I expected. Richard was real. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. 
It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. A quiet, quiet type of guy. Just real quiet, came over, talked to me, but he just was so different. He's not like what I would think, you know, how he curse and have fun like that. He's just real quiet, like almost shy-like. Really nice, though. Snoop Dogg. Oh, Snoop is the man. That's my man. I enjoy doing his video and always enjoy talking to Snoop when I see him. Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Quiet. Smart guy. Um, just glad that he gave me the opportunity to be in a real funny movie and had a time of my life in it. The Farrelly Brothers. Oh, man. Those guys are great. Really great directors. Um, just had a great time with them. Martin Lawrence. Oh, man. Martin. Martin, very, very funny guy who told me uh, what I needed to do if I ever got a series that I needed to be in charge. Make sure that I get to be a producer and, and, and to do things that I wanted to do in the show for it to make it. You know, be the man of, it, of the show. Eminem. Oh, Eminem was just the greatest. Uh, didn't know he was a big fan of mine. Found out, found that out. Um, had a great time shooting the video. Um, that's one guy that he's really good, and I I like hearing him rap because he's got it. That guy's got it. He's special. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Now he's one of the funniest guys I've ever seen, and that's the truth. To me, when I saw him on Def Comedy Jam, that guy was so funny. And I said, one day I want to work with him. And I got that opportunity to work with him in Friday. I don't think he even knows how funny he is. Jim Carrey. Oh, man. My type of guy. Uh, he'll go anywhere to find that comedy, and so will I. I'll walk a wall with Jim Carrey. Penitentiary. That movie. That was the movie that kind of started my career. And uh, I always remember the director, Jamal Fanaka, who told me that I'm going to make you, that this movie going to make you big. And it did change my life. I first met you on the set of a pilot, Dane Cook. Dane Cook. And I remember that because I remember saying to somebody, who is this guy? <laughs> You know, because you always... Talking about me or him. Yeah, you, because you were on the monitor and you were looking at the monitor. And what I liked about it is, like, 
when Dane would walk off the set or like he had finished singing, you'd be like behind him like, you're so fucking good, man. You just don't know how fucking good you are. Just look at you, man, the way you do those things. I was like, oh, I like this. This guy would be good as a boxing trainer. <laughs> and that's when I met with you when I wanted to represent you. Yeah, yeah. You came over and you started talking and you started talking to me. I did this line and um, I had made up something, you know, and everybody was walking. They were walking slow, and I was walking behind them. I said, all right, get the molasses out your ass. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest things about that TV series that I remember fighting hard for and Dane, too, we didn't want any dialogue that had anything to do with being a little person. We just wanted you being his boss. Yeah. And you were so amazing. Thank you. Billy Bob Thornton. Uh man, uh, Billy Bob Thornton was just the greatest. I owe uh, him, and and also I gotta I gotta say Terry Zygoff, my career for changing my life. You know, those are the people that God put there for me, and Billy Bob has been everything to me. Um, those two guys, and um, I just personally can't thank Billy enough. I don't even want to think about where I would have been if Bad Santa 2 hadn't come along. So, again, Billy, if you're listening, thank you so much. And to Terry Zygoff, thank you, because you kept me in there. Thank you. Francis Ford Coppola. Boy, Francis Ford Coppola, he's the man. He's the only person that I ever was, like, intimidated by because I knew about The Godfather and all the movies that he had done. And... He was really one of the best, if not the best, director I've ever worked for because I like what he does. He had us to do improvs about the characters that we were about to play. They said, forget about the lines. Let's do the improv. And I just remember that. And I remember Michael Jackson coming over to me, couldn't stay away from me because he was laughing. And Francis said, Michael, what is wrong? He said, tell him stop making me laugh. I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm playing my character. You know, and Michael just thought I was just so funny. But that's what I remember about Francis. He, that improvisation that he had us do, man. I always do that now before I do a film, like, about my character. And I thank him for that. Explain to our audience what that process is that he told you to do. Well, we all, you know, instead of worried about the lines and stuff, he just wanted us to improvise what we thought our characters were about. Like, like for me... I was Hooter, and I was the one that always would get stuff going, you know. And I, um, by by getting stuff done, I played this keyboard, and that what made the ship run. And he wanted me to improvise what that character was like, you know. And he said, don't worry about the lines, just, just do it. So I came up with what I thought my character would do. Like Michael, he was the captain of the ship. Well, be a captain. These are your people in you know, in in the ship, so run it, you know, and that just, to me, just did it for me. When was the last time you cried? I've cried many times, but I think, one of, I've, I've cried since then, but one of the times was when I was just trying to, going for the role of, of Bad Santa, and just, like, everything was against me, and I was like, why, why am I going through this? Why do I have to go through this? You know, and, and just saying to God, why? 
I mean, a role come along, you know, 23 years for it to come, and here they don't want an African-American. You know, it's for a certain race, you know, Caucasian. And it was like, why? Why? And I just said, Lord, please work it out. And that was a song that was on the radio. It's a gospel song, but I don't really know the song that well, but it's like this this burden or whatever is not yours to bear alone. It's the Lord. And I just remember that song helped me a lot. And uh, I just went through so many ups and no ups, just downs, you know. And it, it to be in acting, I, I got to tell you, mentally, if you don't have it, acting will break you. It will break you. So always tell people, mentally, you have to have it. And uh, thank God that, you know, I had it. I don't think anybody's been through no more than I have. Tell me the role that religion plays in your career and your life. Well, religion means everything to me. My whole career is about God because God does everything for me. And I always say, it's not about man, it's about God. God controls everything. And so, you know, it, it's been roles that, that you know, have come up, and I, I felt like I should have had those roles. But they didn't go my way. But I think the biggest thing that changed my life, it was a part for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It was not with Disney. It was with Shelley Duvall, Fairytale Theater. And I remember for the first time, these guys that I was reading with, these were guys that were beating me out for roles. And when I was in acting school, you know, I was top of the class. I'm, I was wondering, are these guys so much better than me? And it was a time when that almost broke me. But I don't let anything break me. And I was just like, you know, when I got a chance, they, they dwindled it down to eight people. And as I watched these guys, I'm looking, I'm listening at them. The first guy used to beat me out for roles, and I'm listening to him. I'm seeing so many things he's doing wrong. Second guy, third guy, terrible. And I'm looking, I'm saying, on my worst day, these guys couldn't beat me out. And I ended up getting the role, which I thought I wouldn't get. And I remember I was almost broken to the point where she said, write down the role that you would like to have, which is the lead role, and then write down another role that, you know, would be your second choice. By me having not worked in a while, I never wrote down the lead role. I wrote down two other roles because I just wanted to work. But I did end up getting that job. Your proudest moment in show business? My proudest moment in show business. Um... When I was riding with my wife, we were riding down Hollywood Boulevard, and I turned the corner, and there were three people. It was a guy, a girl, and another guy. And as I turned the corner, I could read their lips, and they said, there goes Tony Cox. And I always thought nobody knew my name. And that just, it just did something to me, just my name, that they all said there, I could read their lips, there go Tony Cox. And, man, I don't know, it just did something to me. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Well, it was when I told you, like, when I got out to California and I went to that acting school and I was going to take a screen test. 
and I had my aunt in the room, my grandmother, and my uncle. And this man just broke me down. I mean, telling me I would never be nothing. You know, I would always be in a costume. He said, look at you, you're black. You got a strike against you. He said, the only thing you ever do is be in a costume. And I remember I was so hurt and I went outside and I was I had tears in my eyes and my aunt looked at me and she said, look, I know you're not gonna let that bother you. She said, that man don't know who you are. She said, you from Uniontown, Alabama. That man don't know what type of heart you have. And she said, you know what I would do? She said, I know you won't do it. But she said, I would come back and go to this school and I would show him. But that, what he said to me, it just did something to me. And I remember going back about two years later to that school and speaking to that class, you know, about what it is to make it in acting. And I got a standing ovation. I went and told that guy off, and he got fired. I told him off, and I said, you talked to me the way you did. And I said, why did you do me like that? You don't even know me. I said, look at me now. And he tried to say, I said, no, you're not going to say anything. You're just going to listen. And I told him, and I told him, you hurt me in front of my grandmother and my aunt and my uncle. And I told him, you shouldn't even have this job. And after I finished telling him what I had to tell him, I left and I slammed the door and I felt so good. Last question, what advice do you have for the young person who's growing up in a small town in Alabama or wherever it is across the world who has a dollar and a dream and aspirations to being in the entertainment business? How in the world will they get to the point where they have the kind of career that you have? You know, it's not about the town that you come from. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about you and how bad you want to do something or to become somebody. Um, for me, I would just say mentally, you got to have it. If you're going to come out and be an acting or whatever you're going to be, mentally you have to have it. Uh, in my hometown, nobody gave me a chance. I, well, a couple of people did, but a lot of people didn't, and they talked about me. I used that to fuel me, to make me who I am. And, and one thing about it, when you do the thing that you want to do and you make it, all those people that talked about you, then everybody want to be on your bandwagon. People were telling me, I knew you could do it. I said you could do it. Those are the same people that talked about me, didn't give me a chance. Um, I wanted to prove that coming from a little town, it doesn't mean anything. If you want to be an astronaut, you can be an astronaut. Whatever you want to do, do it and believe that you can do it. But you always got to have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I have faith. I have faith in my God that whatever I wanted to do, that I know he would be there for me. And that's what I have to say. Always stay ready. Always stay ready because you never know when your opportunity is going to come. And you may not get but one shot. And if you miss it, that could be it. So just stay ready. That's my advice, Tony Cox. Tony Cox, that was truly incredible. I am so grateful. First podcast you ever did? Yes, and I've never done anything this long. I can't believe I was able to do it. Neither can my producers. 
But they keep doing it week after week, telling me to shorten it. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Barry. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.